But if you have Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 100? I'm often aware in the church that the times are changing, and you've experienced it as well. The world seems to have adopted a new story, a different story, one that has never before been truly adopted. Every nation through history has believed in a God. This goes back as far as history goes. Every nation has believed in a God. But today the new story is that there is no God. We have made ourselves pressured by the laws of nature, but over time, through mutation and choice, life has come into being from lifelessness. There's no creator. There's no purpose. There's no God. There's no goal. There's no termination. There's no hope. There just is whatever is. This is the story. It's been adopted. It's somewhat unprecedented. No nation has ever dared believe such a thing. And some might say it's because we've come of age. But we know that's not true. It's not that we've come of age. It's that we are falling asleep. When we read the scriptures, we remember a story that is as old as creation itself, that is somehow latently there in every nation that has ever existed. And it's the story that we are not random that we are not accidents, that we are not without hope, that we are a consequence of a decision made by a being of inestimable value, of unbelievable potential. How could you even fathom a being from which all life comes, which has always been and will always be? That being made a decision, that's what we're told in the scriptures. And the being, we call him God. That's not his name, that's more of a title. He revealed himself as I am. But this God made a choice, and the choice was to share his life with other beings. And so he created the world. And each day from the moment he breathed life into creation to this, and however long he decides to let it go, everything that lives from the smallest of creatures to the most complicated of systems are held in their space by him, by his hands, by his will, by his activity. This is the story we're told. And for some reason, people today, it feels like a fantasy. It feels like that, that can't possibly be. But we are of those who know it's true. Because some of us have encountered this God. Some of us have felt the pull of this God to life. And that's really what this psalm is about. It's not a psalm for those who want to live into other stories. It's a psalm for those who have embraced the call of this God out of the chaos into the life he's promised and have experienced somehow through their faith the leading and the guiding of this God in their lives. And so the psalm says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all humans, all the earth, because he is sharing his life with everything. This week, our family lost our dog of 15 years, and it was time for her to go. She was suffering, and she was failing. 
But even as we and Jen got to witness her passing, even in the, in the simplest of animal life, like a dog, you can watch as they die, the spirit leave. What is that? What is that thing that leaves? Have you heard scientists say it weighs 21 grams or something like that? Something leaves. It's the breath of God is what the scriptures tell us. There's a song. It's a great worship song. It says more or less that we sing his praise with the breath he puts into our lungs. Isn't that an interesting thought? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that Yahweh, the Lord, is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That is the greatest news ever declared anywhere on the earth. That not only did this God choose to make us, but he has cho chosen to walk with us. He has chosen to be near to us. He has chosen to transform us. And as much as he's given us free will to make the decisions we choose to make, he never fails to call us back to the road of life if we would have ears to hear. And we've been talking about this in our series in 1 Samuel. God did not give up on Israel, though they clearly gave up on God. They tried their absolute best to get him out of their culture and out of their way. They were so tired of having to be judged by the law and by rules and by regulations. They just wanted to make their own way. But what they learned is something our culture needs to learn too. The rules of God may feel oppressive, but the truth is our selfishness, our enslavement to ourself is far more oppressive. When we walk away from God, it feels like freedom, but it looks like torture. When we walk away from God, it feels like autonomy, but we experience it as slavery to the whims of every person we meet. God has given us his law to create space for life. And the Israelites knew that. And even though they failed to live it out, the psalmist who wrote the psalms knew that our only hope for joy and for peace and for security in this life was to abandon all the other voices and live in the space that God had created and to give him thanks that he had made a way through the waters into the land of promise. Because let's not fool ourselves. We live in the waters. The waters in the Bible represent chaos. They represent destructive forces. They represent everything that wars against life. And you and I were born in the midst of them. But God separated those waters when he allowed the Israelites to walk through the Sea of Reeds on dry ground or the Red Sea. And he'll separate the waters for us too. He did it in Jesus. And some of you I know I, I guess, I don't know, I guess I guess, because it's true of me. It feels like the waters, especially today, are just overrunning everything. It feels like everything is on the tip of disaster, like one wrong tweet and the world will explode. It feels like the room is full of gas and all we need is a spark and everything will end. It feels that way sometimes, but we know that that is not the case because we are not here randomly and we are not alone. Because there is a God who is with us. And as chaotic as the world might seem, he has made a way through the waters. And that way is Jesus. And so this psalm points us to the future. Do you see it in verse 4? It points us to the future. 
We're born in the waters. God makes a way. We have to follow Jesus. It's not a wide, like, I don't know if you ever watched Cecil B. DeMille's little, uh, little movie on the Ten Commandments. It was a wide path he made through those waters, wasn't it? I mean, that thing, you could have fit, I think, four tractor trailers through what he made through there. But Jesus tells us it's not a wide road. That little road through those waters is paper thin, and you're going to have to shed some gear to get through it. You're going to have to let go of some stuff. The rich young ruler wouldn't do it. He, he, he had to carry all his stuff, and he wouldn't fit through the narrow way that Jesus made for him. But if we follow Jesus and we squeeze through the narrow way by his strength and we shed what he asks us to shed, that's what repentance is, he will make a way through those waters. It's a narrow little path, but you'll make it because he's with you. And so this psalm looks ahead. It begins with shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joy, joyful signs. Enter the space God has made for you in the midst of these waters. Know that he is God. It's he who made you. Sometimes you have to sit in the mirror and just say it. I'm a creation of God. He made me. He will not forsake me. And he, they, he says, enter that space. And then that's the narrow path as you walk at verse 4. You can be assured that when your traveling days are over, you will enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the end of the road. That's the joy set before us. That's why we can endure all that we endure in this world, because ahead of us are his gates. And we will enter his gates one day with thanksgiving, and we will enter his courts with praise. When you squeeze through that narrow road and you follow Jesus along the twisting, turning path through the waters, and suddenly opens before you a wide way with the gates of heaven, and you enter those courts, what are you going to do? My grandmother was uh, quite overweight and suffered with diabetes, and she had told me near the end of her life that she hadn't run since she was 12. And so when she said, what are you going to do when you get to Gates? My grandmother would look at us, and she would say, I'm going to run to him. <laughs> That's the joy set before us. If we can't keep that ahead of us, then we fall into the darkness of the world. One day we'll enter his, thanks with, his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And we will give thanks to him and we will praise his name. Do you want to be there? That's what you carry with you. When we gather together in worship, we're practicing for that day. We're tuning our voices. We're going to choir practice. We're learning the notes and the rhythms. We're learning to lay things down and to pick other things up. We're learning how to sing in the midst of the darkness. And all the way along that road, we sing together. That's where we are right now. But we are practicing for the moment we enter. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. When you enter those gates, there's no exiting. You finally enter. Jesus described it as giving birth. He described this world as a womb in which all the tumult around us are like birth pangs. And that's a beautiful image, really, because it does, I mean, I imagine the fetus in the womb when the birth pangs start probably think it's dying. It probably thinks the world is ending. It's the only world the baby's ever known. But the, it, and as the contractions happen, it gets shoved down the narrow path, and uh, it probably thinks, this, this is it, this is it, uh, it was a good life, here we go, you know, this is the end, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And only to find out that they're born. 
and that their life has only just begun. That's what death is for us. It's a terrible, strenuous road we walk, but he's with us. And it ends with a birth into a kingdom that never ends. Is it worth it, church, to not let the world take your faith? And don't let them convince you the road is not worth it. Jesus is the only one to have ever returned once entering those gates. And he walked back onto the narrow path when he rose from the dead. And he said to his disciples, now, follow me. That's what we're doing. 2,000 years almost, we've been doing it. I hope you're encouraged today. I hope that you will choose to be thankful, not for the world as it is, but for the world as it is becoming, for the road made for you to walk into the heavens. I hope you'll give him thanks this week. You are not alone, church. Not only do you have each other, you have God. He is real. He is a person. He is sustaining you now, and he will speak to you. He will speak to you in your spirit, through his word, and through the things that happen in your life. If you look for him, he will be found. He has promised that all who seek him Find him, so seek him today and let him prove what he promised he would do.